Tits up is both an expression used when things have gone terribly wrong and a phrase coined as a rallying cry to stand up straight, own the stage, and knock them dead. There are few things in this world that can make your life go tits up more quickly than a breast cancer diagnosis, especially for adolescent and young adult women. This podcast is meant to give us AYAs, a feeling of community, understanding, and power, helping us to walk into each day with a feeling of tits up. Welcome listeners to another episode of Tits Up. I'm sure you all know by now, I am Megan. I am uh, with my fabulous co-host, Sam. Sam, Hello listeners. Thank you. (laughs) You guys, we have a guest today. Her name is Sarah McKinney. Uh, She is a fellow breast cancer survivor. Um, A few things that we're going to be discussing with her today are going to be marriage, relationships during cancer and cancer treatment, um, having kids, young kids. Uh, They were three and nine. Yep, three I believe and nine. three yep. and nine when you were diagnosed. Um, and she is also, Sarah is also on the board of Casting for Recovery. So we're going to be talking about that a little bit. Um, so with that, Sarah, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for having me. I'm psyched to be here. We're so excited. <laughs> um, well, Sam, what we tend to kind of do, Sam, sorry, Sarah, uh, what we tend to do is kind of introduce ourselves each episode kind of by way of our diagnosis. Um, so why don't I hand it over to you? Kind of tell us when you were diagnosed, what exactly you were diagnosed with, what the treatment plan was, um, and then that will probably lead into more more yeah. offshoots of the conversation. Um, so I was diagnosed at age 40. Um, with HER2 positive breast cancer. I was um, estrogen, progesterone negative, HER2 positive. Um, I had rounds of chemo, a double mastectomy, and then the immunotherapy for HER2, um, Herceptin, um, for a full year. So I was diagnosed on June 7th, 2016. My last treatment was June 7th, 2017. Um, And the funniest story I like to tell about when I was diagnosed, um, I had at the time a male boss and it was a nice day. It was May 24th and I, I was 40. So I was like, oh, I haven't gotten a mammogram yet. I'm going to just take the day without taking PTO and go in for a mammogram uh, because my male boss doesn't know a mammogram takes 30 minutes. So I got a full day off and then kind of downhill from there. Yikes. How long did it take for you to get your results back? And did they do the biopsy right away? So I had had two um, mammograms in the past. I had dense breast tissue. So I had one in my early 30s. And then my youngest daughter is IVF. So I had to have one before IVF at age 37. Um, So both times, because of my dense breast tissue, I had a mammogram and the next day, two days later, they called me in for an ultrasound. So I just expected it. Um, And I think 3D mammograms were kind of new at the time. Um, So on this one, the one where I was diagnosed, they called me in for an ultrasound and I was like, sweet, another day off. And then, the first tech came in and really focused on one spot. And then the next tech came in with the ultrasound and and then the lead tech came in and then the lead tech came in with the doctor. And I was like, okay, you guys want to tell me what's going on now? And they were like, well, um, there's a mask. And I was like, okay, so what's next? Mm -hmm. So I think that was a Thursday or Friday. I got in for a biopsy on Monday. Um, and then I got my results the next day. Um, which is kind of funny because I'm, I'm a planner. So I had to, I said, okay, what's going to happen? When am I going to know? And she said, well, we'll call everyone tomorrow. We call the people who are clean early and then kind of work through. And I went to work that still hadn't told anyone. I think I told my parents like, Hey, by the way, I had a biopsy. Don't worry about it. No big deal. Um, by about one o'clock, I was like, well, I think I should probably go home for this phone call. Um, and then I got it and they had told me I had cancer. So it was, it was pretty fast all in all. I had a, a dear friend I went to college with um, who worked at the place where I got my mammogram and ultrasound and biopsy. So I think she pulled some strings and got me in early. Oh, nice. wow. <laughs> I mean, what's yeah. silver lining, right? Yeah, right. Totally. What was your, what was your reaction right away? I mean, um, yeah, that's an interesting question. So I was expecting it because it was one o'clock and they hadn't called yet. I think I finally got the call at 2.30. So I was like, okay, well, I have cancer. And then when she told me, I had my little pen ready and a notebook. So, I, okay, this is what and what happens next. Um, 
So I was pretty stoic, I think. I only cried twice during the whole thing. Um, one, when I got, that day I got diagnosed, my husband was working from home. It was on a conference call. So I kind of went and stood out, outside of his office door. We have like French doors so you can see through it. And I was like, I, I need to talk to you. <laughs> like Something's um, going on. Right. So you. <laughs> he, you know, was trying, and he was on a call with kind of big wigs. So he was trying to get off. And when I told him the first time I said I had cancer, I cried. Um, and then the only other time is when they told me, oddly, when they told me I was going to lose my hair and I loved being bald. So it was funny that I cried for that. Me yeah. too, Sarah. Yeah. I'm, I'm so happy. I'm sure you've heard me say that on yeah. a few episodes. I loved being bald. Yeah. It, it melted me at first and I'm glad I cut it after my first chemo because I couldn't have watched it shed out of yeah. out of my head but then i remember being on vacation uh in hawaii with my husband and everybody was looking at me and i got so many compliments yeah. i never felt so confident i'm throwing up on the streets of waikiki <laughs> um so it was just kind of full circle uh in that moment so i definitely resonate yeah. with the bald head loving yeah mm -hmm. i loved it and we did we kind of because i had little kids we tried to keep it as i don't know if fun is the word but you know, made them a part of it. So when my hair first started falling out, um, we had some friends over and my kids and we shaved my head and we did like a mohawk and we did like lines in the side and, you know, we spiked it up and a mullet at first. So we had all the various, the various ways. So we kind of turned it fun. Um, but yeah, so that was sort of my reaction. Um, other people's reaction I found interesting because I called my parents um, I'm just going like a squirrel, just going on a tangent. I love it. I love it. Tell us everything. Go ahead. Um, and my mom said, "You oh, are you kidding?" And I was like, "What kind of sense of humor do you think I have that you would think I would?" But I think it's like a natural, like, well, that this can't be serious. Um, and then when I called, you know, it was it was about I don't know what was seven years ago now, um, before. I, I, you know, before I put it on social media, which is Facebook at the time, um, I called all my close friends and told them because I didn't want them to see it on social media first. And a lot of them cried a lot. I was kind of the first one in the extended friend group um, to have been diagnosed. Not unfortunately, not anymore. I have a couple friends who have been diagnosed since then. Oh, that kind of brings up a good point that we didn't talk about prior to this. Like, let's talk about friend groups. Like, how did, how did your friends show up for you? I mean, we're definitely going to go into family and that's what we usually yeah. think of and talk about, but I know that my friend group was essential yeah. for me. Um, yeah, this will probably make me tear up. My friend group was extraordinary. Um, and I think what I realized you kind of know, and you read about this, right. But until you experience, you don't really know. There are people I thought who would show up who didn't, who couldn't for their own, whatever reason, you know, and I give them grace at this point that just couldn't. But there are friends who I would call like tertiary friends, you know, who were there like always. Um, and it, I was diagnosed before COVID. So when I had chemo, it was never like it was a chemo party. Like my friends showed up and they would just send me little cards or give me phone calls or send me a text. And they constantly checked in and were constantly there. Um, for me and um and for my family so it was i couldn't have gotten it gotten through it without them and now i try to return that favor i'm kind of the um, breast cancer whisperer when someone gets diagnosed hey what can i expect what should i do and again i can tell them my journey i don't love yeah. that word but my relationship and what happened with it um but and be there for them to answer questions i love that i mean my I had a very similar experience. There were some people in my life that could not show up for me, as you put it. Um, I like that. Um, and I have, I have some really, really, really good friends. I've always had, you know, a, a pretty large friend group. But you know, my dad has always said that when you get older, you realize that you can't have any more best friends than what fit on one hand. You know, and I've got, I've got my three or four that were incredible. You know, one lives out here and she would come over sometimes because um, her, her work schedule is really flexible. So she would come over during the day sometimes and just sit on the couch and eat and watch TV with me while I was recovering. Um, 
and she used to be my roommate. So it felt like we went back to being roommates and it gave me a sense of normalcy, even just somebody watching reruns of the Kardashians, <laughs> you know, like it just, it, it made me feel like a real person again. Um, Cause at the time I didn't know how to have a conversation with anybody about anything other than cancer. Yeah. Right. Um, because it's, it's all consuming. Right. Um, I had another friend, she lives in Michigan where I'm originally from and she just took a week off of work and flew out just to hang out with me. Like she took over for my husband was driving me to and from appointments. Um, you know, we would listen to music in the car and sing and just catch up on her kids and everything else. And it was that, like I said, it was a sense of normalcy that was so nice, yeah. but also, you know, <laughs> this might kind of make me tear up. My friend that was in Michigan, um, she was telling her kids, she told me this, by, you know, when she got here, but she was telling her kids, they asked like, you know, mommy, why are you going to Colorado? What are you doing out there? Blah, blah, blah. And she said, well, you know, a friend of mine is sick. And when friends are sick, you go visit them. You spend time with them. You make them feel better. And they were like, oh, okay, that makes total sense. And that was, it was just so sweet that like, I could also see her teaching like the next generation, like this is what you do. This is how you are kind. And it isn't avoiding them and saying like, oh, you know, just let me know if you need anything and, you know, fuck it off after right. that. Like it was making a real effort to be there and to see me in the shit, you know, like right. her very first question, because I was still all like really bandaged up and everything after the double mastectomy. Her first question when she got to my house was, all right, all right, shirt off. Let me see this, yeah. you know, and that was that was so like it. it maybe if people are a little more. um if they have more shame I have not I have absolutely not I grew up with all women everybody right. has seen everything I don't care um but having her just say like okay let me see the shit let me see where this pain is coming from yeah. and I'm not scared of it that yeah. was so helpful um, I agree and I double appreciate the people because right after when you're bandaged up and you're wearing that tight horrible bra that they put you in mm -hmm. um, they don't look great. So you take off the bra and one of my friends was like, Jesus, that's fucked up. Are they going to look better than that? And I was like, God, I hope so. I don't know. <laughs> they do. They do but know. having the realness from right. somebody, you know, like not having people tiptoe around you. Mm -hmm. um, again, like I, I get why people do, you know, they don't want to make you uncomfortable. They don't want to say the wrong thing. I get it. But just having somebody there to be like, look, like I've I've seen you in some of the worst situations. Like she's seen me drunk in college, waking up in a bathtub, you know, like just nonsense. And so like nothing that I can do or nothing that happens to me is going to scare her and vice versa. Um, so, yeah, friend groups, that's something that we haven't really touched on much. Sam, yeah. what about you? Did you have like specific um, friends that were really, really helpful during it? Or was it kind of like they they took off? Um, yeah, I think I had, um, you know, my mom was helpful and my husband, my husband went to every chemo appointment with me and he's kind of the only family that uh, lives in the immediate area. So I get it. But like my mom flew out for my surgery, um, one of my surgeries and stuff like that. So, but I also worked, um, you know, I maintained the same workflow. So I think like my immediate coworkers were pretty like crucial during that too, just because when I was like, oh, guys, like I do not feel good today. Just, you know, leave me alone. Do not talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> and just them being like, yeah, okay, I gotcha. I understand. Um, but I didn't have as many, uh, I would say like close, I guess, proximity yeah. friends, but um, st still I felt very supported. Yeah. I, I would say by my husband. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah, well, I was talking to uh, my paralegal the other day, and I, I love her. I absolutely love her. Jen, shout out. Um, but what she would do is when I was, you know, I had like the eight months off, um, people from the office would bring like care packages or food or whatever and check in every now and then. But Jen was so funny. Like, she would keep me in the gossip at the office. Yes. And again, you know, like I was so isolated and yeah. it was during COVID. So it made it even worse, you know, and I would get a phone call at least once a week at about five 15. So I know that she had just left the office and she, I would pick up the phone. I'd be like, Hey Jen. And she goes, bitch. 
I've got stories. And she would catch me up on all of the nonsense going on at the office. It was just so nice. You know, I, it just makes you feel it. like a real person again. That's an important person to have that keeps you in on the tea. The yes, <laughs> exactly. What else is that? I, I worked through mine. So I, um, the, the, my biggest memory and my coworkers were super supportive of my boss and I'm also an attorney. So my boss reduced my caseload. So I didn't, I worked, didn't have too much to do, nothing too taxing. Um, but when people would see me bald for the first time, I, I would just remember, and I would know because the first time it happened, I was kind of offended. And I think the guy was like, man, I, I wish I would have had a warning. And I was like, sorry. And then I kind of got to expect that. So when someone was coming downstairs to my office, I'd be like, by the way, I've lost my hair. And they'd be like, okay. So we, we were, we were all ready to go, ready to just move forward through that conversation. But it was good for me to stay at work. Yeah. It was good yeah. for me to stay at work and work through, you know, at least a little bit of normalcy. Sarah, I resonate with that. I had to re-meet people at work sometimes when I would travel to places for business and like I would meet people and then when I would say my name, they would look at me like, oh, snap. (laughs) Even though they knew I I didn't have any hair, they were still – and it's like the worst feeling ever because you're like, "Uh, like there's no way I'm that unrecognizable, right? right? It was just hair. It makes you – it, it gives you a whole total set of different feelings that right. I, I don't think I've ever felt until I had to re-meet somebody and be yeah. in that moment. It's different than meeting a stranger, I think. Yeah. It's like, it's it's a whole yeah. other level. <laughs> and I, I kind of diverted to like telling a joke. I may try to make it easier for them because I realized that it was hard for them to see me mm-hmm. like that and to and to reckon with whatever in their life had happened that it brought up memories for them. So I kind of tried to ease a lot of other people's feelings at the time, I think. And that's, that's yep. pretty indicative of women right there. Just no, for sure. Always, always trying to make everybody else comfortable. And again, I, I understand why I don't think there's inherently a bad thing. But when you are faced with something like this, you know, it, I, I don't know why we do it, but we all do, I would do the same thing, you know, make make jokes about how terrible something is or whatever. And it does. It tends to diffuse the situation, but you know, it tends to always fall on us too to be the ones to do it, which sucks. Um, Sarah, did you have a wig? I never did. I didn't think I'd like it um, because I was like, well, it's not going to look like my normal hair. So then people are going to know, and I know myself well enough. I'm an open book. I can't lie at all. Um, so as soon as someone would have given me like a weird look, I would have been like, oh, it's a wig. This isn't my real hair. I'm bald. So I was like, I'm just going <laughs> to skip through that part. And for the first couple of days, I tried to wear a head wrap, um, but I didn't like it. I, I just didn't. I was like, is it supposed to match my outfit? It is, it not, is it not supposed to match my outfit? I didn't know what to do. Um, so I was just like, fuck it. And it just rolled bald, uh, you know, sunscreened up the little, the little noggin and that's it. I love that. Was that kind of freeing? Like, this is for both of you. Was it Was it just like a release, like not having to worry about hair? I In a way, so, yeah. yeah. Um, it, like, I remember just showering, getting ready, you know, just feeling completely confident. But at the same time, I did wear head wraps, but that was only because my head got cold. I was always cold, so I would be having a blanket on my head. So, um <laughs> I did find a couple that weren't too bad, but like, I definitely didn't like sleeping with it. Like it wasn't the most comfortable, like just having it nicely, freshly shaved. And also when it came back in in patches, that was hard too, because it's like, it's not growing, but it is growing, but it's still falling out. And people look at you a little bit more because before it was kind of like, oh, I had people think I chose to be bald. Like that's how much people complimented me. They would say like, oh, you are so brave for rocking a bald hairstyle. And I would like show them my port and be like, this was not a choice. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, And I know that maybe that's a little dramatic, but it had been, I think, um, you know, a year, a year and a half into treatment. And I was just so 
tired of catering to everybody else and I was on vacation and I was like, fuck it, nobody's going to know. I didn't fucking choose this. You need to think about what you say before you say it. I know I look very healthy because then what would come is, oh, you don't even look sick at all. And it would just be like one after the other and it just kind of piled on. Sorry for that. No, that was a little ramp, but... I'm no. sure you resonate a little yeah. bit with that, Sarah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I um, I always did, you know, there's different things people say that various cancer patients have find issue with, or I always tried to give people grace because they were trying to connect. So when someone came up to me and said, oh, my aunt had breast cancer. Oh, how's she doing? Well, she died. I'd be like, well, I'm sorry for your aunt, but I'm hoping that's like, I never Does it mind. happen to me. Thank right. you. <laughs> I, hope that, I hope that's not that what happens to me. I never minded that because I thought they were looking for connection. And I thought it was very kind that they were doing that. But one of the things, and you just hit on it, Sam, that did get a little old for me is people told me I was brave. I'm like, I'm not brave. I'm just doing what my doctor tells me to do. Like, there's no other choice. It's not bravery. It's okay. This mm-hmm. is the, you know hand I've been dealt and we're going to fucking deal with it. I have to go through. I see no other way. I always tell Megan that's kind of how I got through it. It wasn't because I wanted to. I wasn't like, oh yeah, this is totally going to work. I went into it thinking like, no, this isn't probably going to yield the results that I want, but like, it's what I medically have to do and what's best for me. And I have to give myself the best possible chance with the worst possible drugs and medication right. because you know that's that's the hand I've been dealt kind right. of like you said yeah Sarah you were telling me last time we were, we talked um about the specific uh chemo that you were on mm-hmm. you were on Herceptin and I think it was um, new out at that time it was it was newly FDA approved um so it's an immunotherapy so I had chemo and then her stepped in for a full year. Um, it's an immunotherapy that's targeted at the HER2 um, cell. Um, and it, um, so, you know, I don't know how long it had been tested, probably 20 years or whatever, but new, relatively newly FDA approved, um, which I didn't really know. Um, but it is the reason that I'm still here. But I didn't find that out until after I was done with treatment. And I talked to my oncologist and, you know, was like, oh, well, you know, thanks. And um, she was like, well, you know, you can thank Herceptin. You had about an 18 year, 18 month life expectancy without it because you had a pretty aggressive form of cancer. And I had a it was I was a stage 2B and I had a really, really big tumor. My tumor was like seven centimeters. Um, So. Then I kind of started looking into it and um, I actually, I got a tattoo for it, my first ever tattoo. So you can't really see it, but that's the chemical symbol for Herceptin. Um, I love so, that. So that is um, how I'm still here. And then my kids' names are Olive and Emma. So this is an olive branch. Mm-hmm. And then Emma um, means universe. So she decided what that meant to her was stars and her favorite color is blue. Um, and she was born in 2006. So there's six blue stars to represent Emma. So that's kind of how I'm still here and why I'm still here um, to kind of remind myself of that. So that advance in, and I know medicine continues to advance and continues to improve and life expectancies continue to increase, um, which I think is just fan, you know, yay science, (laughs) very pro science. Well, that's that's actually such a good segue into talking about your kids. And also, quick side note, I love the tattoo. I was thinking the other day of getting the um, chemical symbol for estrogen because I don't have any oh, yeah. anymore. Yeah. And they just sucked it all out of me. So I wanted right. to do the estrogen symbol on I me, but I haven't done it yet. I think that's super smart. Sure. Love yeah. it. All right. So talk to me about your kids. Sure. Um, so, Yeah. Um, so when I was diagnosed, so my older daughter is my stepdaughter, um, and she was nine at the time. Um, I've been in her life since she was three. Um, and then my younger daughter, the one who I got through IVF was three at the time I was diagnosed. Um, so that was pretty hard. Um, I was, you know, I was just talking about it with my husband the other day after you and I spoke, Megan, um, to say, hey, look, we're going to get into some stuff. Are you okay if I talk about all this? And he was like, yeah. And I said, well, what are your feelings? And he said, well, 
part of what was hard is we were going through, I was going through treatment. He was going through caregiving. He had to do all the parenting stuff because for, you know, my treatment was every three weeks, at least for the end of those weeks, I was kind of laid up in bed. Um, so I couldn't do it all. And we, so as we were going through the medical side and the emotional side, we were trying to keep things as normal as possible for our kids. Um, at the level they would understand. Um, so, you know, for the nine-year-old, for Emma, we could tell her a little bit more. And for the three-year-old, we had to keep it at mommy's sick and mommy is going to take some medication that makes her hair fall out. Um, one of the sweetest things, actually, my lovely daycare provider at the time, um, I had bought a book and I don't remember what it's called, but it's great. Um, oh, it's called Nowhere Hair. Um, and it talks about, it's for little kids who's, parents have cancer and how their hair is going to fall out. And sometimes she might wear a wig and sometimes a baseball hat and sometimes, but we still love her and she's still the same person. My daycare provider read that to the whole daycare right before uh-huh. I was going to lose my hair. So, so when so I awesome. showed up, I showed up to pick up Olive and they all came and gave me a big hug um, oh and had drawn, had drawn pictures for me. So it was very sweet. So again, with the support, like oh. the friendship support and all of that, um, so that was super sweet. So, but again, we had to do different levels of communication and, and transparency for what they could understand. Um, kind of complicating that. I don't even think I told you this, Megan. So I was diagnosed June 7, 2016. My mother-in-law died of breast cancer on May 27, 2015. So both oh. girls knew um, Olive not quite as much because she was so young, but Emma knew you can die from this. This is something that that can take your life. So we had to try to say, yes, it can, but this is the, you know, this is the treatment we're going to do and this is the plan. And, you know, we kind of had to say, and again, I've already said I'm not a good liar. I had to say like, well, you know, I'm not going to die. And then I was like, oh God, I hope I didn't just lie to her. Um, So there was, there was that factor, but I do remember we were very thoughtful about how we told Emma I was like, this is a core memory, right? We're like when yep. you hear yours, and we had told her, I said, I think I said she's my stepdaughter. We had called her mom, because um, we're all all friends, and said, um, hey, I have cancer. We're going to tell Emma. We just wanted you to know first. And I was like, okay, it's a core memory. This is something she's never going to forget. So we can't do it somewhere where we always go. Because if we did it, she's always going to remember that place. It's always going to be that. So we can't like do it at Dairy Queen or do it at a restaurant because she's going to, that's going to be her connection. That's so really smart. Her, yeah. Well, <laughs> it kind of backfired. We took her to okay. a random, uh, I, I live in um, a suburb of Denver. We took her to a random elementary school in my town, but not one she goes to like across the highway, the other side of our town. And we kind of played at that park and sat on a bench and I told her and she cried. And then later, of course, she has soccer practice at that school or she, you know, or Olive has soccer practice every time we're there. She's like, you told me you had cancer on that bench. I'm like, yes, yes, I did. So I don't know if there's a good place to do it, I guess. That's, uh, it's kind of bringing up when my mom was diagnosed, because I was diagnosed at 35. My mom was diagnosed at 37, and I was the okay. oldest of three girls. Um, and I was in middle school. I think it was like in eighth grade. Um, and I, I remember that conversation with her. I, it's, it's just funny. Like, I hadn't thought about that aspect of it, of being the child yeah. in a really, really long time. Um, and, you know, looking back at it, all three of us reacted very, very, very differently to my mom being sick and my mom losing her hair and all of that. Um, how, I, I guess there's probably no correct answer for this, but like, have you found specific ways to like, try to not fuck them up anymore with it? Or like, how did they, how did they no, we just have it? a whole savings account for therapy that they're going to need when they go, <laughs> we're just, we're just going to continue to fuck them up and then someone else can fix it later. Um, <laughs> I had a friend tell me once that the goal of parenting is just to fuck them up enough to make them funny, but not that they right. become like a serial yes. killer. Yes. yes, like an avoidant sense of humor. We've all got it. We'll just pass it on. Um, you know, I think what we did, and you know, right now they're, they're my girls are 10 and 17. 
Um, so we don't know if it worked out. We'll see as they get into adulthood. Um, we didn't try to hide anything. We tried to be as transparent and honest as we could um, for their age level um, and for what they understood. And, um, and honestly, we tried to keep their lives as normal as possible in a very abnormal time. Um, I don't know how well we succeeded at that. I think um, during treatment, I think they did okay, you know, questions, but they they didn't really want to talk about it. Um, I can see it a little more now. Like if we watch a show where, you know, someone has cancer, um, there's a lot more teary eyes than there probably would have been. And it, it breaks my heart to know my kids had to think of me dying. That at that young age, they had to go through that. It's heartbreaking to me because I think they don't need to understand that yet. I feel like I took a little bit of their childhood away. Um, But I think all in all, they're doing relatively well. One of them is a bit of a hypochondriac. Um, So, but you know, we answer the questions. And one of the big ones is, am I gonna get cancer? And I'm like, well, I don't know. The type I had isn't necessarily hereditary, but you do qualify for earlier mammograms, so you're going to get those. And, you know, um, so it's kind of those things that I don't know that there's a way to plan for it, prepare for it. I don't know if there's a way to do everything right, and I don't know that I'll ever know if we did everything right. But again, we'll just send them to therapy later. I love the savings account for therapy. Even if it's not true, that's hilarious. <laughs> not true. <laughs> Listeners, it's not true. <laughs> um, what? How did it work with... I'm so glad to hear that um, you and your husband are still friends with his ex, your your oldest stepdaughter's yeah. mom. Um, it's so often that we don't see that. <laughs> that's more the rarity when people are able to get along. How did that work? Um, I mean, I would assume that everybody had like a regular parenting schedule um, for how things were going to go with your stepdaughter. And then did this throw a wrench into that? Did did the teams kind of uh, recalibrate? Um, I think to the extent we could, we kept the schedule. But again, I wasn't able to do as much parenting as I normally do. So it kind of Justin is my husband's name. So it kind of fell to Justin. I will say uh, my stepdaughter's mom and stepdad, you know, like when I was going in for surgery and when I was um, needed to be gone, when we, you know, chemo days, if that was one of the days we should have gotten Emma, they would keep her. Like we just kind of um, flexed with it. And they were, they were very supportive um, and their extended families were very supportive as well. Um, so it was nice to have that. Um, Thank God for that. One yeah. last thing, you know, that would be yeah. so tough dealing with an unsupportive, right. um, you know, other, right. other parent on the other end. Right. I'm sure, and I I'm think, sure our listeners have dealt with that. Oh, for sure. And I think one of the um, things we discussed when we first told my stepdaughter's mom and stepdad, you know, before we told Emma that I had cancer, you know, okay, what can we say to her? How can we, what message are you giving to her so we can help support that message? So we kind of had aligned messaging through that. Um, so it, it worked out really well. It was, it was very nice. Good. That's awesome. Now let's talk Justin because you just All introduced right. him. <laughs> um, first, how long have you guys have been married? Oh God. Um, we got married in 2011 and it's 2023. What is it, 12 years? Sure, even one. I'm a lawyer. I always say I'm a lawyer. I don't do math. Yeah. Over 10. Over, Over 10. 10. 10 plus. <laughs> uh, at the time, it, we, it was five. We celebrated our fifth anniversary when I was in treatment. Um, so we hadn't been married too, too, too long, five years at the time. And again, yeah, his mom. knew. Yeah, it was still new. And again, his mom had died the year before of breast cancer. So um, we had kind of lived through through that together, too. Um, so Justin is amazing um, and he is lovely and he was a fantastic caregiver. And I know you two had an episode with your husbands on and talked about caregiving. Um, I have always said, I think 
it's largely harder for a caregiver than the patient because the patient has support and the patient has listen to your doctor and keep up with, and the caregiver has to do all the things that are falling through the cracks and may not have as much support. Um, I, I don't think Justin had as much support as I did. I mean, people did give him support, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to do it differently. Um, we did great and I did great during treatment. So for the year of treatment, head down, do what you have to do. Again, I told you I cried twice. I've cried like four times on this podcast already. <laughs> um, so if you ask my therapist, cancer brought my wall down. Um, if you ask anyone I work with, they're like, Jesus, if this is you being vulnerably emotional, we do not want to meet you beforehand. <laughs> um, so it was really after treatment that we kind of suffered the emotional effects of it. Um, because then it's, and I feel kind of once you're done, when you're, you know, you said it best, Megan, when you're in active treatment, it's the only thing you talk about. It's the only thing on your mind. It's, you know, even when you're doing other things, it's, it's there. Um, and then all of a sudden there's a day you're not in active treatment anymore. And it's that fast. I mean, yep. it's, I went to the oncologist on the, the last time and she was like, cause for a year, I had seen them at least every three weeks, if not more. Um, and then they said, okay, we'll see you in three months. And I was like, I don't feel comfortable with this. You just shoved me down the stairs. Yes. Three months? Yes. Three months? I could I could have a whole new tumor by right. then. Three months? Yes. I yes. feel the same I, way. That's exactly how it was. Immediately after my last infusion, she said, okay, see you in three months. I said, hmm. What do you mean? Make sure you take your tamoxifen. See right. you in three months. <laughs> what? Yeah. I remember still asking my oncologist, like, well, what if I want to come in every three weeks instead of three months? Like, can we keep doing that? And she's like, Megan, it's okay to cut the cord a little bit. Just, yeah. just shave the cord down a little bit. And yeah. now I, I asked her last time we were there, she's like, you know, we could start going to six months. And then she saw my face. She goes, but we'll stick with three. For a right. little bit. It's like, it's like you are my lifeline. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's really, really hard. Um, so I think at that, and I think the other thing that happened, and I told you I worked the whole way through, but then I was back full-time work, my full caseload. Um, and it was kind of like, and my hair had grown back in a little, you know, a little bit. It didn't look great. But for a, for a time, Justin and I had the same haircut, kind of like a spiky. So I, I, have, I was using his hair product. Um, but you, I went back to work and everyone was like, oh, you're back. You're, you're, you're healthy again. And then, you know, back to doing more volunteering at the kids school and going to more soccer games and going to more and okay, you're healthy again. Like now it, it's over. We don't have to talk about it again. I wasn't there yet. I left as one person and I came back a year later as a completely different person. Um, and probably didn't realize that certainly didn't communicate that, um, because I didn't have the tools to do that at the time. So we went through a pretty decent struggle in our marriage at that time. Um, and I can't really, I've been thinking, um, in preparation for this podcast, which the way I'm rambling, you wouldn't think I'd thought through any of this, but I, I did, um, I can't pinpoint what it was. Uh, he wasn't happy with me. I wasn't happy with him. It was hard. And I think, I really think it was, we're just thrown back into what was supposed to be normal life, but nothing was normal. Everything had changed. He had changed. I had changed. Um, yeah. So we kind of had to re-meet and re-get um, re, um, to know each other a little bit and kind of have new expectations and new communications um, and I, that's when I started to, you know, as my therapist said, my wall broke down and I started to access my emotions, but I mean, I couldn't deal with them. I was like crying at Hallmark commercials, you know, like, yeah. um, <laughs> and now I just avoid the Hallmark commercials. Um, but it was really, really hard for us. And we went to marital therapy, um, and we had to work through some shit. What was, well, let me, let me kind of back up. Um, when you and I were talking on the phone recently, I was telling you that 
the best way that I can describe what that, like the cancer aftermath, let's just call it, what I can uh, kind of liken that to with my husband is, you know, like you were saying, it's like an earthquake. That's like the active treatment. And then you have the aftershock. And I think that, you know, I can't say enough good things about Cody and how he handled all of that. Um, he was the absolute best caregiver. But that man <laughs> will not ask for help. He will not yeah. reach out to yeah. anybody, none of his friends, none of his family. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's yeah. fine. And I used to kind of push for him. Like, I remember I was Googling, like, caregiver support groups yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Like, maybe just talk to one person that has been through this. Um, and he had also just watched his mom pass away in yeah. 2015 or 16, in 2016. And I remember being so worried about him. And then, you know, like you said, when you come back and, you know, you're now doing every three months and it's not a, you know, this is about to kill you type of feeling all the time. Um, and he mentioned this in our um, episode with the husbands, but he, I think he did just all of a sudden expect like, oh, she's fine now. And she can start helping with all of these things and life is going back to normal. And I do think that, there was this low level anger and rage, yeah. <laughs> but not, yeah. not for me, you know, like it's not like he yeah. was mad at me. It was just kind of, again, mad at the universe. I went through that as soon as I was diagnosed. And I think that he went through that later on after, you know, getting me back to quote unquote normal. Um, and we would get in so many fights, just so many arguments. Um, that got so heated because he was wanting something from me that I was not able to give him. Um, I used to joke that I am not the appropriate audience for your grievances. Like, I'm sorry if you had a really tough time waiting for me during surgery, but I was the one splayed open, you know, like, and that's kind of where our arguments would go. And I I genuinely believe that he needed a, somebody to force the issue, you know, somebody to sit him down and say, like, tell me how this is going. Tell me what you're thinking. What are you struggling with? But God knows that man's not going to therapy. So it was, it was about a year afterwards. I mean, like we're, we are fine now. Like everything is fantastic, but there were a lot of times where I'm like, are we going to get divorced? Like, is this, we could not connect it was, we have never been more connected than we were during treatment. Right. And then afterwards, it's just, we went in complete opposite directions for a while. Um, yeah. And I know yeah, that I you know, a lot of our listeners will have like, you know, a lot of people get divorced right afterwards, yeah. or, you know, they start, the spouse will leave or start sleeping with somebody else or, you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's just kind of a PSA that the caregivers really need help yeah. too. Um, but yes, please like tell me, tell me how it went with you guys and with therapy and what yeah, the struggles so were. It, you know, it, it's kind of the same thing. And I think when you said you went through your anger and rage at the beginning, I didn't because, you know, I was, let's get treatment, let's get it done. So I think we were both going through that anger and rage at the same time, which isn't yeah. helpful to have <laughs> to, we were short and, and, chemo immediately put me into menopause and one of my menopausal symptoms has been I'm really short tempered and I'm really impatient. Um, and I, I really try to work on it, but not, I'm not, I'm not doing that well. With it. Um, so anything he did, I would jump down his throat and anything I did, he, to your point, he probably had anger at me for changing our whole world, not yeah. at me, not directed at me, but in general. Um, so we were just, fighting a lot and not communicating and not talking and not having the loving relationship that we have. Um, so we went to marital therapy and, um, she was great. It was good. We needed it. It was kind of, um, in the thick of it. We needed to do something. We never said the word divorce, but it probably wasn't far from either of our minds. And I will say, if you met Justin, everybody loves Justin more than they love me. He is a lovely, kind gracious that's human. my husband yeah. lovely kind gracious human being i take the blame for what happened i think more of it was my fault than his um i can do that now i couldn't probably do that at the time <laughs> we were going through it. 
Um, but then, you know, one of the things that really helped me at the time, you know, we talked about friend support and I said, I was the first one of my friends who had cancer. I didn't know. I had one really good friend in the cancer community who had had cancer, um, before you actually are going to have her on the podcast. You're going to love her. Uh, shout out Katie. We love, I love Yay, Katie. Katie. Um, so I learned a lot from her, but I didn't really know anyone else in the cancer community. When I was diagnosed, um, my mentor said um, he had volunteered at a nonprofit called Casting for Recovery. And it's a fly fishing um, nonprofit, and it's any age, any stage, breast cancer, all female. Um, and basically how it started is a um, oncologist and a surgeon, I think, were fly fishing. And if you've had a mastectomy, you know you go to physical therapy and you do have to do the motion to in- improve your muscle. That's the same motion that's used when casting um, a fly rod. So that's how it came to be. We're in 50 states, international, um, to lovely nonprofit. When I got diagnosed, he had volunteered there for years. And I told, he was one of the people I called before I posted it. And I said, hey, Mike, um, you know, I have breast cancer. And he goes, oh, good. Now you can go to casting for recovery. <laughs> and I was like, laughed at him. And I said, Give me a minute. Give me a minute. So, and he was there for me through treatment and whatnot. So then afterwards, he was like, sign up for casting for recovery. They're free three-day retreats. They're lovely. It's 14 women. All the staff is women. They are some of the best people I've met in my life. That and I got in in October of 17, October of 18. So, and I had stopped treatment in June of 17 and then had a year of kind of fighting with my husband. So kind of comes at right at the right time. Um, that retreat was life changing for me. It's that I have said, and I'll say it again, casting for recovery saved my marriage because a, it is lovely. You're outside. You learn, you're learning to fly fish. It's the healing power of nature. Um, it is the one thing I think they call it getting lost in the loops, but you're casting, you're watching your, your indicator, you're setting on the hook, you're reeling in, you know, the fish, you have to pay attention and you have to focus on it. So you can't focus on anything else. You can't focus on work, your kids, your husband, your cancer, you're out in nature. And I went in October. So I'm standing in a river. The trees are changing. It was like a 60 degree day with light wind. It was magical. Um, you at the retreat, you have a guide one-to-one and I love my guide. Hi Ryan. Um, and but I learned there with the other 14 women, because there's also, a, there's an oncologist there, there's a therapist there. So it's, it's medical, it's emotional, it's the fly fishing piece. Um, I learned that what I was going through was normal, because everyone else had gone through it. Everyone else had gone through something very similar. And if you're listening to this, and you're a breast cancer patient or survivor or cancer thriver, you know, as soon as you meet someone who has cancer, you have a bond. I mean, I met Sam and I met Megan and okay, we have that in common. Now let's be friends. Um, So there's 14 of those women who were there for this retreat. And it was the first night at dinner. I was sitting across from one of the other people, participants and next to the therapist. And the other participant said, Sarah, what has been the hardest part of cancer for you? And I said, it's actually right now. It's the emotional part afterwards. And the therapist didn't even look up because she was like eating a salad. And she was like, that's 100% normal. And it was like a weird watershed moment for me. I was like, wait, what? And And I came back more open and more ready and more understanding of what Justin and I were going through at the time. And since that day, I have volunteered for Casting for Recovery. Um, I'm not on their board yet, but I'm trying really hard to, okay. to make them. <laughs> I messed that one up then. Um, <laughs> but I cannot recommend them enough for people. And it is any any age. We've had people as young as early 20s in their, up to their 70s. We've had people in active treatment. Um, there's a METS retreat. So for everyone with stage four, because that's a different bond. Um and that's a little, you know, tighter. We There's only 10 people at that one instead of 14. In Colorado, we have three every year. Um, they are in every state. 
everyone who works there is a volunteer, um, either a past participant or someone who is a fly fishing guide. Um, some of my dearest friends have come from casting for recovery. It was just, and my whole family volunteers there. Now there's a fly fishing show in Colorado once a year and we all go man the table because it saved our family. And my husband has always fly fished. I never have. He thought I was going to hate it. And I came home and I was like, I want a fly rod and I want waiters and I want food. Um, and he and I are kind of an opposites attract relationship. We don't have a ton in common. We don't have a ton of hobbies in common. He fly fishes. So it's something we can go do together. Um, and that also has really helped because there's we can stand out in nature together and lose ourselves in the loops and catch fish and, you know, not have to talk. And just it's so calming and it's so just really brings you down to earth, I think. So I can't I can't say enough about it. Castingforrecovery.org is the website. I'm so glad that you just did a plug for that. And yeah. I'm going to be signing up. I I think that especially the more that Sam and I do this podcast and the more people that I meet, it becomes so glaringly obvious that even if you have a community during, you know, your treatment, you know, like you and I had such great friend groups or, you know, yeah. family or yeah. your coworkers, any of that, there is a different bond with people that have had this. Yeah. Um, you know, all of a sudden you, anytime I meet somebody new, I'm like, Oh, I already have kind of an insight into yeah. their soul, but yeah. it's because I've realized that there are so many things that are normal. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's such an isolating experience, like we've said, and especially when you're young, you know, you had two young kids yeah. and that is something that so many people don't really know how to deal with. And I mean, I'm just using the kids as an example, but yeah. that's, there's so many things that when you're going through it, you think that you're doing it wrong and this is a real, real problem and you you might not be able to make it through. And then when you finally talk to other people, it's, it takes such a weight off. I yeah. found, um, so I mean, community is incredibly important, but the thing that I love about casting for recovery, this is why I really, really want to go is, um, you know, our listeners know I'm not from Colorado, but I live here now and I'm obsessed with the mountains. I can't imagine not being near them on a regular basis. But there is something that I found over the years, way, way even before cancer, when I first moved out here, that even driving down I-70 and just driving through the mountains, not even hiking, although hiking makes it even better. And I'm sure fly fishing is even more of this, but just driving through there, having these monster mountains all around you, it gives you a sense of, I guess, perspective, question mark, but it's it, it gives you a sense in a good way, I mean this, that you and your problems are very, very small yeah. and that there are so many other things going on. It's not to, for anybody listening, I'm not discounting feelings, but just say there is something about being in nature that almost recalibrates your priority list and how you really feel about things. Because when you're in your bed or on your couch or at the doctor's mm -hmm. office or at work, it's this insular environment and that's where everything exists. And then when you get out into the world, you realize there's so much more also going on here. And the other things that are happening in nature are in fact healing. Um, yeah. So I remember like I would, when I really wasn't feeling well or, um, you know, I, I just didn't have it in me to hike. I would just drive to parks yeah. up in the mountains. Like I would drive up to Aspen or Breckenridge or something. You just sit in a park and be surrounded by nature. It, it does a ton. It settles your soul. Yes. That's what it is. Yeah. Thank God we need that. <laughs> yeah. And to your point of like meeting people with cancer, I think it's a shorthand. Like, okay. I know this about you already and we can just pick up from there um, instead of like, where do you work? What do you do? Tell, like, Oh, you had cancer done. We're friends now. Yep. Yep. Tell me about your boobs. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like you show me yours and I'll show you mine. Exactly. <laughs> I think that happened the first time Sam and I were ever on like a video together when we were just talking, obviously before recording, but she was like, she was explaining something. She's like, you know what here? And I was like, yeah, yeah like this. And I start showing her mine and then, you know, you don't, you don't do that normally with people that you just meet. So yeah, I'll show my boobs everybody. 
Yeah. There's no, there's no shame left. Any that I did have before this, it's gone. I don't care. Everybody has seen everything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that's, and you find that at the, at casting for recovery, you find that as well, because one of our recent participants had a, um, actually I'm going to recommend her to you to talk to because she volunteers at a tattoo as you go and get a, a tattoo. If you remain flat, um, and I, one of my volunteer jobs is to call all the participants beforehand and say, this is what it is, you know, explain it and check in with them a couple of times. And she had said, oh, I do this for the, a nonprofit I volunteer for. So when I met her, I said, oh, I'd love to see your tattoo sometime. And she was like, yeah, here. And it was gorgeous. It's this really gorgeous tattoo. But it's just like, okay, you know, I mean, oh, she hadn't even set her bags down yet. She's like, yeah, here. Yep. Um, and I was like, oh, it's beautiful. But yeah, I will give you her name because it's a great nonprofit. It's another great nonprofit. I would love that. And I've been thinking for a long time about getting, you know, a tattoo. Like I have my cancer tattoo here. Yeah. But there's, you know, along the scars, I still get really bummed out when I see them because mine are like really, really big and thick all, yeah. all underneath. And it, it bums me out. I would like to have something pretty yeah. um, around there. But I, I guess I got to get all the way through reconstruction first. <laughs> I don't want them like doing it and then having to get it all right. ripped up. But yeah. um, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would like to? I mean, uh, timing wise, I know that we need to kind of wrap up, but I don't want you to go. <laughs> no, I don't want to go. Ask me anything. I'm an open book. Um, I don't know. What else? What else is there? Oh, we talked about family, community, kiddos. Uh, casting for recovery. I'm trying to think through here. Uh, friends. Yeah. What about pets? Did you have pets? We did have that? pets. No, but that's an interesting question. Did yeah. you do have pets? I just, I, yeah, I did. I So I had my golden retriever. His name is Jameson. Um, he was my best friend in the entire world. Cody is well aware that if it came down to him or JMO, I would have picked <laughs> JMO any day. Um, and... Jameson, what we had a, we also had like a brand new puppy, um, just a little bit before I was diagnosed. So she's insane. Um, I love her so much, but she's just batshit crazy. That's Johnny Walker. Uh, we <laughs> call her just Johnny. Um, so Johnny was still rampant all around the house. She was cuddly when she was sleepy, but most part, she was just doing her own thing and um, catting about. But Jameson and I, we always had this really, really deep connection, you know, like as soon as I met him, like, this is, this is my, my person, even though he's a dog, he was my person. Um, And he had a tough time right after surgeries because I think he can smell the anesthesia. Um, So he would kind of avoid me for like, you know, a few hours right after surgeries when I would come home. But for the most part, I got so used to having him hanging out with me and I couldn't fall asleep without holding his paw. Like Aww. he would give me his paw and we would hold hands and fall asleep like that all the time. So sweet. I know. And he was, he was so helpful to me getting through that, you know, like when you're hanging out by yourself, I talk to them like they're people. So JMO and I would have conversations about our feelings about different things all day long. Um, we would we would plan out like little little meals for the puppies and meals for me, and we would talk about what's healthy, what's not healthy, all of this. I'm I'm kind of a crazy dog lady, but this was this is my bestie. And then the worst thing, like I would I'd rather go through cancer again three times, but um, than have this happen. But it was. June. So I was, I went back to work in February, March of 2022. Um, and then in June, he, he stopped kind of eating the way that he normally did. He was such a little fat kid, like he would eat anything. Um, and so I was like, well, maybe his teeth hurt or something. Cause he was only 10, um, brought him to the vet and they're like, yeah, he's riddled with cancer. And he has oh. like, not much time left. They wanted to put him down right there. And I, I just lost my shit. And I was like, absolutely not. So long story short, I was, you know, they gave me enough um, palliative care for him, like, you know, meds to keep him comfortable because I wasn't going to have him being uncomfortable. So we kept him comfortable for about three days for me to say my goodbyes. And then we had a vet show up to the house and put him down in the backyard um, in his favorite spot. So that... <laughs> I kind of took a sad, sad, dark turn there, but that was, like I said, I'd rather go through cancer 
three more times than if I, if it meant that I could get my dog back. Um, and that's funny because I just thought of like the pets thing, but he was yeah. so integral to me in yeah. my recovery. He was, you know, his personality was just kind of that of an old man. Um, anyway, he was always just going to hang out with you and, you know, just chill. And he grumbled and talked um, a lot. So we would have these conversations, but I don't know how I would have. I mean, I would have. We all make it through. But just in retrospect, he was just such a big part of yeah. my recovery that I just don't know how I would have done it without him. Um, and it always bummed me that. out because I'm like, well, he had, he had cancer at the same time. We yeah. both had cancer at the exact same time, but I had no idea. And huh. we were we were little cancer buddies. Yeah. It was it's just fucking heartbreaking. And that's heartbreaking. that's the thing that like takes me down all the time. Yeah. Like I just started crying the other day, you know, not about cancer, not about my changed body or my boobs or any of the things that like I used to cry about. I was just it's been it's been over a year and it still hits me sometimes. So I'm like that 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 was my person. And yeah. I think for anybody out there, I've seen it on like Facebook groups so many times. I'm sure you guys have seen this too, where people will ask, you know, like, should I get a puppy <laughs> or something like that? I might say maybe not a puppy, um, but like adopt an older dog. You don't have to train them to go potty outside and all of that. But they are, I, I just think that they are so, so helpful because they're so in tune with yeah. people and their emotions and what's going on with them. They just want to make you happy. Right. Sammy, you've got two dogs. I mean, yeah. did you find that? Yeah. I'm telling about your story with your pets. Yeah. So I have a cancer puppy, cancer puppy slash birthday puppy, a little GSP. She is nutso. <laughs> like, I mean, nutso. But uh, part of the reason why I wanted her is because we have a rescue Doberman from Mexico. Mm -hmm. He's five. And he is similar to Megan's dog. He is in tune with my emotions. Like, I have no fear. I could walk down the streets of anywhere with him by my side and I feel completely comfortable. Um, he every time I got home from treatment, he would like lay with me and just sleep. If I want to sleep all day for 16 hours, he'll just roll right over. You know, he's 70, 75 pounds. Um, and then my little cancer puppy, she, my husband kind of would put her on my neck to like soothe me because I was like always really sick. I would have the hot flashes and she would kind of like regulate like almost my breathing and stuff when I was sleeping. So that was really nice, but she's a little crazy. So uh, <laughs> maybe not a GSP, but um, I definitely recommend the pet love. And also we had like a cancer companion dog at my infusion center oh. and it was a lab her name was juvie and she would literally sit on my lap for 30 minutes at the infusion center i would talk to the social worker um because they had a cancer companion dog and um yeah she would just sit in my infusion chair i'd have to get new blankets because she shed everywhere but it was awesome like i was my favorite part about going to infusions it was amazing i was like this needs to go everywhere and to everybody oh, because great. for uh, the because you know a lot of infusion patients are older so you know they don't have dogs or they're somewhere else like and they would just light up seeing her and me too like i was like oh yeah can juvie come mm -hmm. around and come sit with me and she'd be like yeah sure and she'd hop right up in the infusion chair she didn't care it was awesome oh, we should cool. do a whole episode on this yeah. we should i know that there are nonprofits out there and you know people that have like the cancer um support dogs and all of that yeah. that Sorry, we just went off on a tangent about pets, but I I like that idea. Yeah, for sure. And Megan, well, I do. I'm going to put a plug for the other nonprofit I am on the board on that's out in Larkspur. It's called Fostering Love Rescues, and it's an animal sanctuary, mostly horses. Yeah, we have horses, goats, um, miniature horses, dogs. Um, but if you ever want to come out and just spend some time and with the horses, it's lovely. Immediately, yes. Yeah. Immediately, yeah. yes. I yeah. want to do that. Oh, that should be our first date. Yes, totally. It'll totally <laughs> be our first date. Because, you know, it's similar to your to to Jameson. I think the horses understand and they're so loving and so kind. And they're like big, you know, hooved people, really. <laughs> like, yeah. um, so it is a fantastic um, animal sanctuary. And, you know, they're kind of older horses. Um, 
One is an ex-race horse who stopped making money for his owners. So now we have him. Um, so anytime you want to come out and spend time with some animals, hit me up. I'm absolutely going to. Like, this is this is absolutely going to happen. What is it called again for our listeners? It's called Fostering Love Rescues. Okay. And it's in Larkspur, Colorado. We will put a link to both of them, Casting for oh, Recovery. Great. And for that one, we'll put a link in there in our uh, description. Awesome. So everybody can take a look at it. And if you don't live here, it, it sounds like this is something that a lot of people have tuned into, the, yeah. the help of animals. Um, so maybe take a look at nonprofits around where you all live. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, Sarah, I'm so happy to have you on. And I really hope that you'll come on other ones that we have in the future as different topics come up or just to hang out and bullshit. And yeah, I'm in. God, this sucks. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a campaign to be your third co-host. Yes! <laughs> no, this was super fun. Thank you. Thank you for doing this podcast. Um, I think it's very helpful, and I don't think it's something that existed before. So thank you for doing it. Thank you for inviting me. And I look forward to listening to your other episodes as well. Thank you so much, Sarah. Really appreciate it. Have a fantastic weekend. Thank you. Um, you too. Thank you. And to all of our listeners, like I said, we will put links um, in the bio or not in the bio, in the description. I'm great at this. You can tell I've been doing this my entire life. <laughs> Professional. <laughs> Professional. All, yes. all around. Um, Sam, thank any you so words? much, Sarah. No, um, Sarah, thank you so much for your time. I hope we have you on again soon. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely checking out um, both of your nonprofits. So. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I'm excited for that. Um, Megan, please give us a little outro. So, uh, everybody, please uh, follow us on Spotify or Apple um, or really wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, we are freshly on YouTube. So you can all find us on YouTube now and see the videos of all of us waving. Um, and we do have our Facebook groups and Instagram. We are on uh, TikTok. We are on Twitter. We're everywhere you guys. So hunt us down. Please do us a favor and give us a good follow or subscribe. Um, it really, really helps us out. And we love it when you guys reach out and give us ideas for future episodes. Um, if you can give us, you know, a little tidbit of your treatment journey, journey and heavy quotes, you know, um, we love, love to have everybody from the community on this. So everyone, please follow us, like us, give us reviews. It helps us so much. And, you know, life is tough out there, you guys. Keep the tits up. We are not medical professionals and we are not giving medical advice. Everyone's experience with cancer is very different. And just because we did something one way does not mean that it is necessarily the way that you should do it. If you have any questions about your health and well being, please contact your doctor.